I'm just going to go ahead and put this right behind me. You never know, right? Well, good morning. I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to get to share another message with you, our faith family, Nelson Covenant Church, before our transition to Sarnia. <clears throat> but I was thinking this week, <clears throat> excuse me, what does a pastor preach on on their last Sunday with a church community? And uh, <clears throat> some people that I've been chatting with this week, they joked, you know, this is your chance to finally get to preach totally honestly what you really think. <clears throat> others joke that it's your chance to preach fire and brimstone. And still others might be here expecting, oh, this is going to be Rick's best sermon ever. Uh, but if any of those options are your expectations this morning, I'm going to let you guys down uh, because I have not prepared any of those three options. Instead, I wanted to uh, leave you on a personal note. First, um, a testimony of God's grace to us as a family through this church community. And second, a word of gratitude and encouragement to you. And then third, a word of hope and an invitation for us before we uh, gather at the table together. <clears throat> As I work through these sections, I'll be referencing key scripture passages that came to mind, uh, and I'll do my best not to completely take them out of their proper context. So first, just a testimony of God's grace through our time here in Nelson. Um, a few weeks ago, we explored how testifying to God's grace in our life is part of what it means to be on mission as Christians. In Acts 20, 24... Paul says this about his own mission as an apostle. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, which is the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What does it mean to testify to the good news of God's grace? I think it is to share how the implications of the gospel play out in your life. Yes, you have the promise of eternal life with Jesus, but the implication is how are you experiencing peace, love, and joy in the here and now? Yes, one day death and suffering will end, but the implication is how are you already experiencing maybe freedom from an addiction, freedom from an old way of life, healing, relationships being mended. Yes, God has already forgiven you and placed you in right relationship with God, but how are you now learning to forgive others and reconciling relationships that were broken? And yes, Scripture promises that one day we will reign with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, but how is Christ using you already in your current job to be salt and light? Those are the implications of how the gospel works itself out in our lives. And another way of thinking about this task, and in maybe it's more simple form, is simply to share your own stories of God's goodness toward you. And as I reflect on these last uh, six years we have been in Nelson, I can't possibly share everything that God has done in one message, otherwise you'd have to hire me for another full month to do a whole sermon series on that. But I'd like to share just a few highlights of where I have seen God's goodness 
um, through our transition here six years ago, through this church community, and through both the highs and lows of uh, youth ministry. So most of you know my story of a commercial pilot turned pastor, and that we moved here from Winnipeg, Manitoba in 2017. And while the Kootenays are a beautiful and a desirable location to live in, this move was very unsettling for us, and it was scary for us to come here. And you may ask, why? What could possibly be scary or hard about leaving the minus 40 degree deep freeze that is Winterpeg? Well, I think the modern day theologian Elsa of Arendelle said it best in the movie Frozen 2. Once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor, sorry. She says this, everyone I've ever loved is here within these walls. I'm sorry, secret siren, but I'm blocking out your calls. I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you. Into the unknown, into the unknown, ah, ah, anyway. So leaving our comfort and security, our, our social network, all for a new job in a new community, in a new place where we did not know a soul, we were stepping into the great unknown by coming here. Why would anyone do that? Well, a Bible passage that resonates with me is Abraham's call in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, actually it was Abram, he later gave him the name Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, if I place myself in Abram's position, maybe most of us, we would have a million questions for God if we heard that, right? Uh, God, where am I going? What is there for me? Where will I live? How will I make a living? Will I have a community? Are there going to be beautiful mountains in the lake? On and on and on. But Abram gets none of those answers. He doesn't even know where he's going. God's only promises in that chapter are that he will show him he will bless him, and he will use Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. That's all he gets. When God calls you, it may feel risky. It may require sacrifice. In fact, I would argue more often than not it does. It may mean stepping into the unknown, and it will require trust. But God's calling, this is one thing we can rest assured in, God's calling is always for your good. He doesn't call everyone to physically move or to change jobs. Sometimes he does. But one thing is certain, if we want to follow Jesus, and I mean really become apprentices of his, learning to model our life after his, he will always call us out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's stepping into a new role. Maybe it's finally having the courage to use your gift to serve your local church community. Maybe it's to share your testimony with a friend or a colleague or neighbor. Maybe it's to surrender and submit that specific area of your life that maybe you've been hesitant to give Jesus lordship over. Whatever it is, God's call on our life is usually unsettling and it takes us out of our comfort zone. 
But it is not because he somehow enjoys watching us being uncomfortable or in pain. Rather, it's because I believe his word teaches that he wants us to grow into mature Christ-likeness. It is because he wants you to experience the life he has on offer, which in John, um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says, is a life lived to its fullest measure. <clears throat> the way that God has intended. And if you think about other areas of your life, being unsettled and experiencing discomfort is usually a necessary element if you want that desired outcome, right? If you want to graduate from school uh, to pursue a career, right? Students will have to get out of their comfort zones, sacrifice time, money, and energy to study and work hard. On the ski hill, if you want to become a better skier and we move from the flatland here, to truly experience the joy of the sport, you have to eventually leave the comfort of the bunny hill, right? If you want to be fit and strong, you will quite literally need to be uncomfortable and, and in pain as you endure workouts. So if being unsettled and uncomfortable is a necessary part of growth in all other areas of our life, then it makes sense that it would also apply to our discipleship to Jesus, right? When you read the Gospels, you will notice that leaving their comfort zones and their securities were the first things that the disciples left and risked to follow Jesus, right? They left their nets. They left their tax collecting booth. So if, um, I think one thing we need to remember is that when God calls you out of your comfort zone, Know that it is not just to make your life hard, but it is always for your good and your maturity and your growth. He promised to bless Abraham, and if you know the story, he did. If you don't know the story, it's a fantastic story. Start reading in Genesis 12 onwards. Jesus promised his disciples through the Gospels that they would experience love, joy, and peace of the kind that this world can't offer. He also promised a life lived to its fullest measure, and that is what they experienced. Karis and I had to trust these truths and promises that we read about in Scripture when we moved here. And looking back now, I can testify to God's goodness toward us. And so I want to share just a few things I've noticed God doing in my life as a result of the discomfort and the challenge that came with saying yes to coming here and taking on this call. And it, all, it starts off with my own baggage, right? We all have baggage in our life. Each of us has been trapped in ways of thinking and being in the world that is affected by, by the fall, by sin. We struggle with certain things that we struggle with because of things we've done, because of things that others have done to us, and because of the cultural waters that we swim in. And Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the work that the Holy Spirit does in us to break old ways of thinking and being in the world. From the New Living Translation, I like this particular translation for today's purposes. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's that promise, right? 
Transformation and change is going to require discomfort and risk. But he says you will know that God, God's plan for you is good and pleasing and perfect. But if experience has taught me something, it's that learning new ways of thinking and learning new rhythms of doing life, in order to learn those new ways of doing life and thinking, we first need to unlearn old ways of thinking and old patterns in our life that are no longer suitable as disciples of Jesus. And I think we go through that process throughout our whole life, unlearning some of those old processes. I'm not there yet, but I'm in transition I'm in process, and I think we all are. But I think in my case, that unlearning happened because we moved to a new place, in a new community, in a new role. God used our transition here to bring about some needed changes in my life. Some of the old ways of thinking and being in the world um, that were heavily influencing my life were worry and anxiety, my need to always be in control of things, and my fear-based anger that seeped out whenever I was not in control of things, all while feeling inadequate and not good enough for whatever God was calling me to. And God has used this church community, our youth ministry, the challenges of ministry, the Kootenai slower pace of life, and specific mentors and friends here to help me unlearn these old ways of thinking and living and to learn to live with increasing trust in God's goodness, learning to trade in my control for his control, my worry and anxiety for this peace that he promises in the Gospels, trading in my anger, which still sometimes comes out, for his joy. Again, I am still in process in all of these areas, but I can now see how God has used these last six years to begin a deep transformation of renewing my own mind. Working in youth ministry has been incredibly rewarding. It has shaped me in ways that I don't think I will ever fully comprehend, but it has not always been a walk in the park either. Nothing irks me more when somebody says, what do you do? Just play dodgeball with a bunch of kids? I'll throw a dodgeball to your face, sure. Learning to earn youth's trust took time and intentionality. Learning to connect with and lead a rowdy group of grade 8 and 9 boys and believing that somehow the Holy Spirit was at work in them was testing. Being present with youth struggling with mental health, suicidal ideation, volatile emotions, figuring out their identity and questions around sexuality and culture and faith and how that all fits together, addictions of various kinds, or youth coming from abusive homes. All of those experiences were both a privilege and a gift, but they also took a lot out of me working with young people who, on one hand, display an interest and love for God, but then in the very next moment are cruel and unloving toward their peers, was so frustrating to see. And yet sometimes God used those moments as a mirror to show me of how I was treating other people in my life while claiming to love Jesus. 
young pe- working with young people who on one hand display an interest and love for God or who want to be his followers but then live as though Jesus is only their friend but not Lord of their life was disheartening at times. Young people who've been, who I've invested so much time in who at the end of the day decided to walk away from the faith altogether was discouraging. Conflict and hard conversations that simply come with being in relationship, working with other leaders, working with parents and youth, was not always fun and not always easy. And I have not even mentioned trying to do youth ministry during COVID, which, by the way, no seminary or book before 2020 prepared you for. All of that on top of discovering still my own sinful inclinations, my own shortcomings and brokenness, my own moments of hypocrisy, all of that could at times make the burden of youth ministry feel crushing and lead me to think, I am not the right fit for this job. And yet it was in times like this, again and again, that God produced in me some of the most needed growth. The kind of growth that comes from learning, as my old mentor in Winnipeg used to say, not to take myself so seriously and learning to take God way more seriously. The kind of growth that came from realizing that things that made me sad about youth's actions were actually some of the same things that I was doing that made God sad. Or the growth that forced me to realize I'm not in control, but God is. The growth that comes from realizing I need Jesus and I need the body of Christ, which is the church community, as imperfect as we are, because I can't do it on my own, and we're not meant to do it on our own. And when I question my qualifications for the job because of my own brokenness and shortcomings and sinful inclinations and mistakes, when I dwelled on that, I was reminded by the story of Moses. When God called Moses to leave his shepherding job in the desert to lead Israel out of Egypt, he too did not feel qualified. He had murdered a man. He went from royalty to uh, a convict escaping into the desert working as a shepherd. He had a speech impediment. And again and again, Moses only saw his own shortcomings and begged God to send somebody else. Not me, Lord. I'm I'm not qualified. I'm not the right person. I can't do this. But God insisted that it was not about how qualified Moses was. Rather, it was all about what God could do through anyone willing to be used by him. You see, God does not call the qualified. He he qualifies those he calls. But while God used these trying examples to shape and mature me, he also graced me with enjoyable highs in youth ministry. I've had the opportunity to see kids grow up with integrity and faith and commitment to Jesus, even though all the odds in their life circumstances was against them because of the home they grew up in or the things they've experienced. I've seen God totally transform youth who at one point gave me that biggest headache, and whose lives were on a path of self-destruction, I've seen God transform young people into passionate, devoted followers of Jesus. 
I've had the gift of youth inviting me and other youth leaders, which, by the way, are they're leading a youth camp out this weekend. But he's given us the gift of where we've been invited into the most vulnerable areas of youth's lives, getting to pray for them, getting to offer encouragement and guidance. I had the honor of baptizing a number of our youth and marrying a young adult couple. And I've also been personally blessed and encouraged by just an amazing team of volunteer youth leaders, who, by the way, are fully gifted and capable to continue this important ministry. And I've had the gift of working with a lead pastor who has always had my back, who was always there for me, offering encouragement, always giving me room to grow in my own discipleship to Jesus as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor. And I think another element of God's grace that both Karis and I can testify to is the community that we've gained here. Wanting deep friendships has always been a high value of ours. And frankly, that was the hardest thing about moving here. Because I was somewhat bitter towards leaving good buddies back in Manitoba and being too lazy to, as an adult, make new friends. I think Karis was a little bit bitter about embracing the stereotypical mountain lifestyle in order to fit in. And yet what both Karis and I have found is that some of our deepest friendships we've ever experienced have been formed right here in this church community over the past six years. And so now as we transition to Sarnia and I realize I got to start another whole network of uh, relationships there, I'm reminded of what God did through this community in our life. And I'm no longer bitter towards starting another faith family. Rather, I see this as an extension. We now have an amazing church family and friends in Winnipeg. We have an amazing church family and friends in Nelson. And I trust that God will also have that in southern Ontario. I joked with Karis, if we keep this trend up, uh, we'll have close friends in every province. She didn't like that joke too much. She's like, too soon, too soon. But this all leads me to my next point, which is simply a word of gratitude and a word of encouragement. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul expresses his gratitude and encouragement toward the church in Philippi. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So thank you to those of you who have poured into our kids, whether it be babysitting or interacting with them here at church or watching them in the nursery and Sunday school. Our girls love you, and so do Karis and I. Thank you to those of you who have become mentors to me and to Karis. As we learn to parent and grow in our marriage, thank you to those who have served faithfully on our SLT and our leadership board. It has been such a joy to serve under you and to work with you in the ministry. 
thank you to our youth leaders and our young adult leaders who have joined me in investing into the next generation. You have become dear friends of mine, and I'm at peace knowing that our youth and young adults are in good hands. And thank you to the many adults and youth who share in the yearly ministry at KCBC. God is truly doing great things through that camp ministry, and seeing so many of you lead and serve there has encouraged me. And thank you to all the quiet, faithful saints who have given anonymous gifts, who pray for the pastors and the ministries of this church, and who support this church through prayer and finances. And thank you to all of you for taking us into your church family. We love you and we will miss you. And know that if you're ever visiting Southern Ontario, you do have a place to stay for night. And I mean that. And thank you to our youth and our young adults. for letting me be your pastor and allowing me into your lives for these years. It's been such a blessing to see you grow up and to see how God is shaping your lives. Youth, know that the church needs you and know that God is and will continue to use you for his kingdom purposes if you're willing to step into the unknown and follow his call on your life. <clears throat> and last but not least, a huge thank you to Pastors Jeff and Jason, who's in Balfour, who I've had the chance to meet with almost every week, you guys know me the best. You have mentored me. You've encouraged me. You've given me a kick in the butt when I needed it to correct me. You've given me room to grow as a pastor. And you've become my closest friends and brothers. So Nelson Covenant Church, know that the God who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this brings me to my last point of sharing just a word of hope and an invitation for all of us. While it is very hard to leave you, I look forward with hope, not only for our next chapter as a family and my ministry, but I also look forward with hope for what God is doing and continues to do through Nelson Covenant Church. Um, a while ago, Glenn Peterson, who many of you know, he's uh, the president of, of the Evangelical Covenant Church of Canada, he said something that has stuck with me. Um, he was talking specifically about the transition that our three sites are going through, but it stuck with me as I thought about my own transition. So in talking about this, the pain and difficulty of transitions and changes, he said this, and I may... I quote it as best as I remember. He said, oftentimes, in order for something good to begin, something else that was really good needs to come to an end. And when something good comes to an end, it is always accompanied with grief and a sense of loss. 
believe us, Karis and I are grieving the, the loss that comes by ending this chapter with you. These past six years have been so, so good for us. And hopefully the feeling is mutual to those of you who have gotten to know. But as this particular season comes to a close, we can rest assured that what lies ahead for us, for this church, for your youth ministry, is also good. Because God continues to be good. He is the same God. God is not finished with the youth ministry here. He's not finished with producing good fruit in and through Nelson Covenant Church. He will bring to completion the good work he's already started. So my last invitation for us and for you is to trust our God who promises this. And a passage that has been especially close to my heart this season comes from Jeremiah 17. Got you off guard there. You thought it was going to be the typical Jeremiah passage about the Lord has a plan for hope in a future. He does. But this is the specific passage that was on my mind. It says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I think this works in harmony with what Jesus said later on in John 15, where he invites his disciples to abide in him. And by doing so, they will bear much fruit, he says. And so one of the practices that we as a church do to keep ourselves planted by those streams of water, one of the practices that we do to place our trust and confidence in the Lord, to abide in Christ, part of the way that we do this is to gather at the Lord's table regularly and partake of communion. And so it seems fitting on our last Sunday here to end at the table together. Let's pray, and then I'll invite us to the table. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are good through the good times and the hard times. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back and see your goodness at work in this church community, in our time together. God, I pray for this church community, this family, these friends, that you would bless them richly, that you would continue to pour out your spirit and use this church to be a beacon of light in this city and in the Kootenays. Thank you for the many friends and families formed here. Thank you, Lord, that you have shed your blood for us so that we can be renewed and transformed and be invited into right relationship with you and with one another. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.